Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Certified Forgotten. Hey, this is another episode where, unbeknownst to our listeners, uh, Donato rediscovered the soundboard in our podcast editing tool and has been, oh God, he's actually doing it on the live. So there you go. If you if you were going for like a J-horror, like we've exercised the demon kind of vibe, you've got that tinkly little piano there to bring you home. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, I am, as always, one of the mats, the mat that doesn't fuck with the soundboard, Matt Monagle. I am joined by my partner in crime, Matt Donato. It is a new year, but it is most certainly not a new Donato. How are you doing, friend? Doing great. Can't believe it's 2023 and I still have control of the sound effects. I really should not have moved all of the login credentials under your name. This is no. super duper bad for me. I should have no control of anything at any time. Well... I want to say we're excited to kick off a new year of Certified Forgotten the Podcast because we've got some great guests lined up and we've got some great movies that we want to talk about. We also are in a very privileged position to be able to bring back a few familiar faces, especially folks that helped us get the podcast off the ground when it was just a twinkle in the eye. And we are returning one of our real life friends, uh, a jack of all trades when it comes to the horror genre to the podcast today. Donato, will you please do the the introduction here? Yeah, I think it's very fitting that we're starting uh, the new year with this episode, too, because number one, I will give our guests a little credit. I think uh, The Last Will and Testament of Rosalind Lee is one of my, if not the one of my favorite uh, movies I've discovered through doing the podcast, which is, you know, why we do this. We want to discover these little gems that have flown under the radar. Uh, but also episode nine, uh, which was very early in our stages of being a podcast, as Monogle just said, I think that, again, it is either the first episode where somebody brought a movie to us or it is like the second episode where someone brought a movie to us. And like that was the one where we clicked and we're like, wait, these conversations are way better when the guest brings like their enthusiasm. The guest brings mm-hmm. a movie to us. Um, so like literally did shape the the trajectory of the podcast. So we, we bring back with thanks, uh, Mr. Brad McCarg, the host of Fright or Wrong. Or sorry, the co-host of Fright or Wrong Denver Horror Trivia, uh, the co owner let's say of suburban ghost uh, with becky sayers who has also been on the on the podcast as well which brought us a great movie also hosted Telluride horror show and uh, if you saw a good movie he probably recommended it if you saw a bad movie he didn't <laughs> well, thank you so much for that introduction matt and i'm so happy to be back yeah it's it's great to have you back and it's been um a really busy year for you in 2022 uh in particular brad because this was just is a little bit of an anchoring device. I don't want to skip ahead to talking about the interior, but the interior is a film that is, I think, very representative of the last decade in horror distribution and, you know, playing on the festival circuit, building up kind of word of mouth, you know, working with filmmakers that were making the leaps from short to features. And it's such a, it's such a fascinating model that has really set the stage for like what, how a lot of people try and get their films made today. Um, and Brad and his partner, Becky, for those aren't, that aren't familiar with their work, uh, business and life partner, Becky, are working on and have been working on a feature for their script um, that this year as a short did make the, the festival circuit round. So that's my that's my anchor. And I want to talk about bringing up the ghost for the first half of our show today. I just want to kind of like talk about how that experience has been for you and what it's been like to, and I know this isn't the first time that you've had stuff that's been out in the ether, but like really, you know, production company, creative partnership, like the 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 thing, this is the first thing that I feel like is probably what you want to be remembered for the type of work that you want to be putting out there. So talk to me a little bit about the origins of bringing up the ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it's weird. Uh, I, it, the, the seed of the idea uh, began when I was laying in bed one night and I thought it'd be really weird if my dresser drawer opened on its own. And I don't know how, I mean, that's okay, whatever. But that somehow spun its way into Pet Ghost. And it evolved. I think the idea came out and like, uh, like the idea came into my head in like 2015, 2016. Um, and then it just kept evolving and evolving. And then it really kind of hit its stride as a script when uh, I met Becky. And she and I dove right into uh, making movies as much as we could. First thing we ever shot together was uh, it was a bumper that was never uh, never used for the Telluride Horror Show. And we did a little short with a GoPro in her old house up in Seattle. But everything started to click to get to the suburban ghost part with um, we submitted. So she helped me for about three, four months in 2019, really dial in the script and get it to where we wanted wanted to get it as a feature. And we submitted it to the Frontiers International Co-Production Market uh, as part of Fantasia in 2019. Uh, and that's when we decided to form Suburban Ghosts strictly uh, under uh, the banner of giving up the ghost. And we um, we didn't make it in, unfortunately, but we were shortlisted, which was really, really cool. Um, you know, you go into this for the first time ever. You have no idea what's going to happen. And I never in a million years thought we, we would get in. Like this was, the script has undergone a lot of changes since then. You know, I've, I've worked on it, workshopped it, gotten feedback and, and made some updates to it. But um, anyways, it, it, got, it didn't get in, but we went and, you know, met a lot of people. We hung out a ton in, in Fantasia. It was awesome. But that was the seed sort of for Suburban Ghost. And since then, Becky and I have just been trying to churn out as many shorts as we could. The first official one we did was shot actually in 2019 before we went to Fantasia, I believe. Uh, that one also happened to involve a ghost in a sheet because I apparently have a thing. Uh, but uh, it was called There's a Ghost in the House. And it was just a surreal relationship thing involving a ghost just watching a couple uh, unfold. It actually premiered at Fantasia during COVID, during lockdown. Mm. So our very first big short that had a cast and a crew and all of that um, ultimately um, flew under the radar. I played a lot of online festivals uh, and stuff like that, which was great. You know, I actually had people come up to me at the in-person version saying, hey, we absolutely loved it. So, you know, that was really cool. But since then, we've just been making little shorts here and there, uh, holiday shorts. Every Halloween and Christmas, we do a short. And then sometimes we'll come up with an idea and just do something. But I decided to kind of take it back to square one. We really wanted to move forward with a real production as opposed to just me, her, and a friend shooting it. Um, and we had a variety of ideas that we didn't know what we wanted to do with. So I was like, I could easily turn giving up the ghost into a short. I've got kind of the idea on how to condense it all. Uh, so we decided to roll with it both, uh, both as a short film and as a feature or as a uh, proof of concept for the feature. Cast and crew, three-day shoot. We did pickups like a month later. Got great guy for some VFX. Our, our uh, mutual friend, Jerry Smith, did the score. Phenomenal score. And yeah, it ended up getting into about like 10 festivals. And uh, holding out for a couple more. Uh, holding out for Overlook. Submitted to that one. Uh, so fingers crossed there. But now we're like, you know, moving on to uh, new shorts. But at the same time, once the festival circuit is done, I hope to 
shoot a pitch video and attempt a, a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe or something of the sort and see what happens there. Let's talk about the the scripting version because you said you had the feature yeah. link that you originally mm-hmm. wrote and then you you cut it down um, to get the proof of concept in place. You know, there are f- folks that, that we think of film Twitter as this thing, but a lot of t- there's so many fascinating like subsections of film Twitter. And one of the ones that I'm not in, but I see a lot of that I'm really fascinated by is screenwriting film Twitter and the people that are like working together on stories and like submitting them to like screenwriting festivals and competitions and things like that. So, I mean, was that something that that you had the opportunity to experience a little bit too? Do you send stuff out, whether bringing up the ghost or something else, to those sort of like writing workshops, writing festivals to get feedback and notes from other screenwriters? Do you find that that's a really, because it seems like these days everybody is is using that as sort of the first stop on a journey. Do you feel like that's a really good experience for new writers to have? Um, yes and no. Hmm. I'm less involved with, or less interested in submitting to screen uh, screenwriting competitions, unless I truly feel the script is like just absolutely amazing and is going to absolutely kill it, uh, no matter who reads it. Um, a lot of the features I write now are for me, but also I will you know I will submit them in the hopes that maybe I'll get lucky, or I'll send them out to friends I know who work in the industry who are producers and whatnot in the hopes that, Hey, maybe it'll click with them. Mm-hmm. But other than that, a lot of it is for me, you know, just honing my skills and doing everything that I can. Um, there's one thing, um, the blacklist where you submit and get reviews and all that. I was initially super on board with it. The I submitted giving up the ghost early, early draft. It was like 110 pages long, much darker and scarier, not like what it is today. And I got an eight on it, which was insane. And eight is the trigger to get it featured. And then my inbox just started blowing up by all sorts of random people. Hey, I'm a producer, so-and-so. I'd love to take a look at your script, yada, yada, yada. And I mean, it's overwhelming, but it's also just like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you also get two, two reviews for free. And I got a two and a three. So complete opposite end of the spectrum. So... I, I guess the whole point of that is write what you want to write, find a core group of friends who will tell you the truth and give you honest feedback about it. And if you submit to festivals, great. If you can afford it, do it. It's a great way to get your name out there. Even go to go to the festival if you end up placing. But if you don't get in, it's very easy to take that as like a complete and total rejection of your work. When a lot of the times it just didn't resonate with the random reader it was assigned. Mm-hmm. It is really luck of the draw a lot of the times. But um, for me, a lot, I mean, I go to my dad. My dad is instrumental in giving up the ghost, actually getting to where it is. He's read every single draft. I dedicated the short to him. He's been in my corner from day one on giving feedback, giving notes, doing the whole calling him up while I'm driving home from work and talking to him about it and then figuring out a plot quirk that I couldn't figure out because I just keep talking to him about it. Or the the screenwriter's version of rubber duck uh, debugging. For, for coders yeah so so yeah that those are my thoughts on all of that <laughs> that's movies in general too you know like you're you're describing the fact that like here's someone rating your screenplay that gets an eight to start out and then you know you get a two and a three it's just like you know as, as a critic it's the same thing of like my negative review uh does not mean the movie itself is ultimately bad to everyone like it is just i'm one person this is my opinion this is this is that and that and like 
you know, I, I wouldn't want a filmmaker like not to make another movie because like I didn't like one of them, you know, like it, it's it's very it's very hard to get over that sometimes. But like, I totally agree. It's, it's just you, you just have to keep doing what is important to you and what you're passionate about and like hope it does resonate with people because it will like every movie has an audience. Every everyone has a like, I'm, I, I mean, you know, coming out soon is Skinamarink on uh, Shutter, and uh, like it is being praised by some people as the scariest movie they have seen in a decade and then other people like it's going to miss them completely that's the kind of movie it is but at the same time it's like both those people can be right because it's their take their opinion like it the way it is a divisive film and we need divisive films that means someone's trying something ambitious but at the same time like you know just because it doesn't work for somebody doesn't mean it won't work for another person and yeah like it, it shouldn't be the the blockage that stops a creative endeavor yeah, no, 100%. And I would rather make a movie that is that has a visceral reaction, whether it is outright anger or just effusive praise. But the whole, like, yeah, it was fine. That, mm-hmm. like, to me, that that is failure to me. Because, to me at least, you know, as, as a screenwriter and a hopeful filmmaker and all that, you want to do something unique. You want to do something that can resonate with people in some way, whether it's the thematic elements or... Uh, just like really cool shots or anything like that but just yeah that the, the whole middle of the road reaction is to me way worse than just like someone outright hating my stuff oh go ahead i was gonna say as a critic there is also no there's no fun the review. hardest review to write yeah like yeah the yeah. hardest review like the least fun you're gonna have being a critic is writing that five out of ten or that six out of ten you know like that middle of the road like you checked all the boxes but ultimately your movie will be forgotten like yeah that is i agree 100 percent. like that is the the bottom of the like barrel even though it is not the bottom of the review critic barrel let's say Mm -hmm. and the funny thing is like not most movies but so many movies are like that i don't know it's just it's a weird feeling going into it like i'm okay with criticism and all of that but uh i I at the very least want a, a, a reaction yeah good or bad um so, but I don't know, in the end, a lot of it, and this kind of falls back on the old cliche with screenwriting is just keep doing it and keep writing and keep pushing yourself and doing and write your story. Uh, it is very tempting to kind of chase what's popular. And even if you do that, you know, put a unique spin on it in some way. But as cliche as it is, make something yourself with friends. Uh, I mean, the rustic guys are at like, you know, the par excellence of that, you know, making movies with friends. And then I know you have like Jim Cummings from um, Wolf of Snow Hollow. Yep, I believe. Snow Hollow. And uh, I always see him is like, no, just go go make something with your friends. Use use an iPhone if you have to. It's definitely not as easy as it sounds, but I've been very fortunate to to meet and 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 fall in love with Becky and work with her. And she's got experience and she knows what she's doing. She's done features. She's done shorts. So um, and our 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 areas of expertise definitely complement each other. So I'm very, very fortunate. Yeah, and like the paper, the paper street pictures people too. like the same thing of just a core group yeah. of indie horror, like people that love indie horror and just they keep working together. And, that, you know, something in the dirt talking about Benson Moorhead like that is 100 percent just a passion project between basically Benson Moorhead like Dave Lawson did a bunch of time on set and produced it and stuff like that so like that is the sweet spot you know you're just with people who want to see your creations come to life and are passionate about it and will do everything to help that happen and again 
is something in the dirt for everyone? No, absolutely not. But like, is it so quintessentially Benson and Moorhead to a degree that like, you know, their big budget stuff can't even be? Absolutely. Let me ask a little bit um, about kind of like how you market that, Brad, right? Because, you know, my my feed these days is like split entirely between like independent content creators in the film space and independent content creators in like the tabletop space. And the thing that they both, both audiences really struggle with is the notion that you have to be in order to succeed in these environments, you have to not only be the person that like comes up with it and like builds the business side, but you also have to be your own marketing department for any project that you're working on. Um, which is a really unfair ask for somebody that's like, Hey, I just want to like work on screenplays or like, Hey, I want to do something else. But it does so happen that you come from a really strong marketing background. Um, that's kind of the thing that you do. And you know, have a lot of experience about how that works. So for folks that are like, all right, maybe I have a good idea. Maybe I, maybe I've even shot like a short or something that I feel pretty good about. That's not the end of the journey, right? Because you still have to like make the effort of connecting to the right people, deciding which festivals are worth your time, building some kind of a social presence or some kind of a web presence. So people can like find your name and that thing in connection with each other. So what are some like, what is a career marketer who also is a creative, what recommendations do you have for folks based on, you know, being able to step into that world and not, you know, feeling completely overwhelmed about the project that you're working on? Uh, Twitter, obviously, despite its myriad flaws. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I know, I know, I, I just kind of said, you know, screenwriting contests are like, they're not the greatest way to seek validation, but they are a great way to get your name out there. It's you know, assuming you place in all of that jazz, all that's great. But also go to film festivals. Most of us are pretty nice people. Uh, <laughs> if you come up to us and talk to us, we'll talk to you back. Because, um, I, you know, I'm talking to, you know, longtime festgoers that met you guys at film festivals. Mm-hmm. But that's how you meet people. Just start talking to them and follow them on Twitter. That's what I did. I met uh, Pete Hall, uh, Dead Kids Club. Good book. Wrote that with Paul Gandersman. I'm right in the middle of it. Yeah, I, I still need to get that one, but I wanted to give them a shout out. Uh, Pete Hall, he and I, he I was a horror blogger. He's latched on in some way and we became friends and we had a horror blog and I went to Fantastic Fest because of him and it just snowballed. So like I wouldn't be where I am without him today. He's I go back to him as like the person who got me into this industry, however long it took. I mean, I was 27, now I'm 40. So, you know, still working my way up there. And it's just, you got to take your time and do baby steps. But just, I'm I'm a relentless self-promoter. I'll just like go on like tweet sprees where I just start talking about my own ideas. And a lot of people don't like doing that. I do it because in a weird way, it does work. It gets your name out there. I actually had a moment, this isn't Twitter, but it's Reddit, which, you know, has its own flaws. But there was a screenwriting on our screenwriting. Uh, it was a competition, like a logline competition. And I came up with one that is basically just five prostitutes band together to hunt down Jack the Ripper after the death of one of their own. And I kind of described it as like Zodiac meets from hell or something like that. And that throwaway thing, I called it Whitechapel, I think. A friend uh, helped me with that name. That throwaway thing that I barely gave two thoughts to it was mostly like i can't believe someone didn't think of this before won the reddit contest keep in mind this was supposed to be for a script that was already written it won the reddit contest 
by miles, apparently. I submitted it to another contest and was invited to fly out to L.A. to pitch it on stage at another competition. I ended up doing a video one because I obviously couldn't go out there. But I also was like, I don't have a script. This was literally just a random idea. I posted it on Facebook. Todd Brown of XYZ was like, you write that, it gets made. Thousand percent. Like, this is the type of high concept stuff that people want to see. And I was like, okay, I bought some Jack the Ripper books and I never did anything with it. Then the Blacklist came out recently, or not this recent one, but the one the year before. There was a movie called like the Ripper Murders on it or something like that. And I actually saw people in our screenwriting, was this the movie that was pitched a couple years ago that everyone went nuts about? And I was like, no, that wasn't mine. This looks very similar, but whatever. Again, it's not a cover idea. The point of that long-winded story is just get your shit out there. No one's going to steal it. Your ideas are a dime a dozen. Anyone can take a basic, simple premise and turn it into their own movie. But if you have what you think is a cool idea, get it out there. Even if it's just kind of like shouting it into the void, you never know good things might happen from it. And if I can make one rec- one follow-up recommendation on that, though, it's that uh, if you are going to be active on social media, try not to get as many counts banned as Brad McCarg has gotten on Twitter. Shh. I'm just I'm like if if building if building a an audience is part of your goal there that you're on what your fourth fifth account on Twitter, uh, I had two and then I tried to make two more they got banned immediately so technically my fifth yeah I mean I you know, like look as a marketer I just have to say getting your accounts banned like that probably not the best but you know hey it works for you uh, I don't do social media marketing man I, I I don't want anyone to look at my social media that's fair. <laughs> Well, the last question then we have about kind of the journey specifically for bringing up the ghost is submitting to the festivals and getting, you know, that short film on the festival circuit. This is obviously, it's not over because we're still rounding out like sort of the 2022, 23 genre festival cycle. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there that maybe they do have something that they're like, I don't know who I don't know who I submitted to. Should I be worried about premiere status for these things? Like all those things that they teach you online that you like watch a YouTube video and somebody's like 10 things you need to do before you submit your own your film festival stuff. You know, what are some recommendations you have having gone through this process a few times, but specifically with this that you're trying to turn into a feature? Um, honestly, it's really going to depend on your budget and when you submit the film, uh, you know, prices get higher and higher and higher as you go through the individual waves of submission dates, but you also just kind of have to use your gut on the festivals you think you have a shot to get into, which is hard if you haven't been to the festival. In the end, you obviously want to stick in your genre the best you can. A documentary short about underwater underwater basket weaving is obviously not going to play at Fantastic Fest unless it's a really weird satire or by the guy who did, um, shit, what was that? Mr. Oregon. (laughs) He would probably get that in, but... uh... (laughs) Um, you just kind of have to do your research, see if it feels like a, a right fit. Look at the past programming. Hey, is this the type of film that would play? We submitted to something like 25 festivals, 20 festivals, got into about half of them. A lot of the bigger ones we didn't get into. You also have to understand, like our short was 12 minutes long, which is hard to program. Right. And it's mostly dialogue based until the end. So like, where do you put that? It has to fit in either, into either a predetermined 
block of films, like a supernatural block, gory block, comedy, horror block, or something like that, or be lucky enough to be seen by the right person. And then like, if there was another movie playing at one of these festivals that involved a ghost in a sheet or some other supernatural relationship type thing, uh, it would play well in front of that. Ours played in front of um, a movie called The Jessica Cabin. And um, it ultimately ended up being like someone wrote a review of it saying it was like, oh, this is the short to beat. And then kickstart my heart played. And I was like, oh, we're fine. Because that short, if you've seen that, is incredible. And it played Fantastic Fest. It is absolutely amazing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was the Jessica Cabin at the, the Soho Horror Film Festival. So it's a lot of it is luck of the draw. I mean, they get hundreds of submissions. So work within your budget. Do your research on the festival, the ones you'd really like to be seen at. And, you know, little hoping and praying doesn't hurt. And I will say, as someone who doesn't watch enough shorts, and I, I know that about myself, uh, I mean, the most shorts I do watch are at festivals. And, like, that's why it's important to kind of, you know, put like Brad is saying, put yourself out there. Just gamble, risk it. Just if you can get in front of, like, festival audiences, especially – uh, a festival like Brooklyn Horror does great things because they program a bunch of short blocks, like, you know, a lot, way more, I think, than I've seen at like any festival. Um, so like you're getting in a short block, as Brad just said, or the ones I really uh, stand out to me are like a fantastic fest where they program them with a film. And again, mm -hmm. as Brad has just said, like you tie it to a film that makes sense thematically. Um, so then all of a sudden, like now I'm remembering your short tied to this movie that I probably also love as well. And those are the shorts I think that have stuck with me the most. Um, and it, it is just like, it's this thing of as much as you don't want to say you have to be there to succeed in a certain degree, like you do have to be there. I, it's the conversation of like, again, as a critic, it, I know I'm not going to get the same opportunities if I live in Idaho as if I live in, you know, specifically Los Angeles or New York City. Um, it's It's an unfortunate thing, of course, but at the same time, like, you kind of have to be in the right place at the right time. And if you're not willing to put yourself in the right place, like that is something you have to think about, you know, like go, I, I go to festivals for a reason. I go to festivals because I love them dearly. And I see all these wonderful people that I don't get to see very often. But again, it is important to do the networking. Like half of the sites I write for are because I went to festivals and talked to editors and, you know, put myself out there. So like, if you're not willing to put yourself out there for this whatever it is, whether it's filmmaking, whether it's writing, whether it's, you know, X, Y, Z, go down the list. It, you know, it, it's definitely something you have to reconsider, I think, in a way. And I think that you, Donato and I have talked uh, before, you know, if you are looking for a reason to support our patron, you know, one of the myriad of reasons, in addition to the really amazing writers we do, is that Donato and I would love to be able to feature more horror short content on the website. That is a, an area that fits our niche perfectly, like the type of, of, undiscovered, untalked about things that are important on the festival circuit and lost otherwise. Like we would love to be able to throw money with no expectation at any kind of an SEO return on a lot of these like standout shorts that we've seen that maybe didn't even translate to features, like just really good 12 minute shorts that maybe don't have a feature that follows them. You know, everybody remembers the ones that get turned into things like lights out. So those have like a, a, a stability in terms of, Oh, Oh, look at the, the journey. But yeah, someday, you know, a site like ours, I hope, will continue to carve out more space for that because it's very hard, I would think, to write an accurate history of 21st century horror without talking a lot about the role that short horror shorts have played on the festival circuit. I think that's a feeder pipeline. It's a community piece. It's, it is the, even 
you know, not to take anything away from the films, but it's sort of like the lifeblood of a lot of these festivals because they're going to get X amount of feature submissions, but they're going to get 10 times that in short submissions as well. So it kind of like keeps money coming into the festival environment. And I think there's an important history to be written there. And I hope that maybe someday Certified Forgotten will be able to do that a little bit. We'll see. Uh, last question I was going to ask you, um, just because I wanted to tie it back to what you were saying earlier, you know, we're talking about the right time, the right place. We're talking about a little bit of luck and having a good project, but really I think what I, what I'm taking away from a lot of what you said, Brad, and I'm saying this as somebody who will never fucking write a screenplay, never make a movie. That's not, I don't want to do that. I'm glad I have friends that want to do that. It's just not a gear that I have, but a lot of what I hear is Donato and I sometimes talk about the importance of not ever putting too much of yourself in one piece, not in terms of writing it, but in expectations of how that piece is going to perform, right? Like we could, Donato could write like an incredible essay for, um, uh, for Paste on his kind of like experience with horror. And he did that. But when you did that, Donato, I'm sure that you weren't going to be like, this is the piece that's going to get a million likes. Cause you kind of have to, you have to have a really, really short memory when it comes to creating. And kind of the way that you talked about it, Brad, with like having more stuff in the pipeline. I think if I were an aspiring filmmaker, an aspiring screenwriter listening to what you said, it's like, don't ever think that this is the one. Be always be working on like the second or third script after this. Always be moving on to the next thing, even as your current thing is is doing pretty well in its environment. Because you just, you never know. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a great point. Um, like giving up the ghost, the feature itself, like it's very, it, that's my passion project at this point. I really, really want to get that made. But I'm not going to only focus on getting that made. That's why I kind of, I haven't written a new feature since then. Maybe I have. I honestly can't remember. But I've got others I've started working on and I want to get back into it this year. Because um, I do miss, you know, I miss coming up with those stories and getting feedback, even if it is from festivals or the blacklist or friends or family, whatever. But also just for me, shorts. Because you can take yeah. really cool, punchy ideas. You can spin them up in a week if that in terms of a script and um, get together with friends and shoot them on the weekend. Um, as much as I hate using the phrase, you know, churning out content, something's going to stick. Yeah. Something always sticks. I know I, for one of you, for you guys, it was uh, one of them is Lindsay's post on the Friday the 13th lawsuit. Just absolutely crushed it. And it's sitting up at the top of the, the results for all that information for all those queries. Uh, to, to drop some SEO terminology there. Um, but uh, for us, you know, it's like we do it because we love it. We we have no personal expectations that we are going to be the next lights out or anything like that. But you know what? We're going to keep fucking trying. Hell yeah. And we're going to keep making stuff and keep doing stuff. And we do it for us. We do it because it's fun. The short we did for uh, Christmas. Absolute blast. I got to get drink and be, I got to get drunk and be a, uh, uh, and be an influencer and then get killed by Santa. I mean, how can you not want to do that? Tons of fun. So yeah, it's just, just keep doing it. Do it if you love it. If you don't love it, don't do it. Don't do it because you think it is your only way out or you think you deserve it or it's your big break. Do it because you love it. Keep doing it. Meet some good friends who love doing it. Start making your own movies and just you know hope for the best. <laughs> as cliche as it is. <laughs> That feels like a really good energy to bring into 2023. As we're talking about like energy to bring into the new year, I feel like that's a really good energy for our audience to take and bring into the new year with them. So with that note, Brad, thank you for, for opening up your playbook and your history with your future. 
But I think it's time we take a quick break and then come and talk about the film that you were really excited to bring, which is The Interior. And we're going to probably talk about it in the context of festival films, too. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's The Interior time. Hey everyone, welcome to your first bumper of 2023. I want to say thank you to everybody who continues to support us on Patreon, but I don't want to just say that. A lot of times Donato and I talk about movies that we're watching and are excited by, but we actually have a list of some of the films that our supporters love in 2022, and we're going to share those with the group right now. Donato, man, what, uh, what do we got? Yeah, if you're in our Patreon... Uh, you already know mine and Monogle's favorite movies of last year. Uh, we just put that video out rather shortly ago. Um, so looking forward, we just want to see if there's any overlap with our Patreon crew, the people who uh, keep us going and, you know, keep us talking about movies. So I, I want to see what their favorite movies were this year. So we asked our Slack group, if you're in the Slack or you want to be in the Slack group, please join that Patreon tier and we will ask you such questions in the future. But for now, let's go to the results. Uh, Miss Amelia, the menu, screen, black phone. So definitely some overlap there with me with the menu. Uh, if we're talking horror straight up, I think the black phone is in my like top three or four. Good picks, good pickies. Uh, Steph Garcia, bones and all, which we're gonna. I think we're gonna see bones and all a few times. Uh, tie between Pearl and X, scream on there again. I think we're gonna see a lot of scream and all that on there too. So you know, it's 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 it was a good year for horror. But it seems like a lot of people like the same horror movies, if, if you agree with me, Monogal. Yeah, it's I. there was something about like the dark satirical, not quite a comedy kind of stuff that seemed to, to kind of like people people wanted a little bit of all over the map tone this year. And by Jove, they got it. And what I like is the uh, the X versus Pearl. And it's not a competition in the real world. I mean, like, I'm so happy that both of them succeed and I'm so happy they both exist in the same year. I am an X person over Pearl. I will admit that. But I think Mia Goth is better in Pearl than she is an X, if that makes any sense at all. In any case, let's jump to Ian. Mr. Ian has bones and all. Like I said, we're going to see it a lot. Uh, Barbarian and Pearl. So a lot of representation for Pearl there. And also, I, I thought I'd see a little more Barbarian there. Uh, I, I have that high on my list, too. So Ian has has good taste. You were you were pro-Barbarian, right, Monica? Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh... I mean, what Justin Long is doing in that movie is immaculate. So good. Uh, Mr. Shapiro of XYZ. Uh, and I say that because he leads with X and speak no evil and soft and quiet, which are choices I respect deeply because, number one, he's an X guy. So he's with me on that one. Uh, speak no evil is so bleak and so, un, you know, just uncommercial unpalatable for so many people and yet it is so very good to me it is the darkest of the dark it is a feel bad movie to the billionth degree and then to pair that with soft and quiet which is again another feel badder just the worst of america brought to light and put in front of you and i don't know if it's really trying to do anything else than say this is our shithole that we live in let's uh Let's revel in that for a minute and try to be better. But yeah, two two feel batters for Shapiro. So uh, I hope you watch Puss in Boots after that. 
There's something about really nice people that like really bleak horror. I don't know what it is, but it, it works for me. Jumping to Christy, we have once again Scream X and Nope. Nope is a uh, another one of those. I, you know, even could have been an Oscar contention, and uh, I was surprised to see maybe one or two. I would I would have loved to see cinematography there for Nope. That was. You know, Top Gun not making it, giant, giant snub, I agree. But I don't know. I think I think that Nope cinematography is considered somewhat of a snub to me. Nope. More like, yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's what you're bringing. Cool. All right. I'm going to keep rolling. <laughs> Christine, our valiant editor who helps us on Certified Forgotten, goes with Fresh, the cannibal, quote unquote, love story, let's say, that turns very foul. Uh, bodies, bodies, bodies. Mr. Monagle, you have a you have a liker there in you and you and Christine are on team bodies. And nope, again, we have we have another nope and a mainstream favorite, let's say, for a lot of people. Moving on, I, I mean Monagle, we've already talked about our movies, but you gave me an answer anyway. You've got Watcher Resurrection and Don't Worry Darling. Would you like to explain your Don't Worry Darling? Yeah, I just think it's really it's it's it if you watch the Patreon video, uh, which I would recommend that you do, um, I compare it to M. Night Shyamalan, and I think that that I think that feels right to me. I think that M. Night Shyamalan is somebody who got a lot of grief for a long time about um, extracurricular things, as well as a you know tendency to do twists. But I think his craft has kind of come into sharper spotlight the last few years. I think he's kind of had his moment, and I just feel like Don't Worry, Darling is going to be a movie like The Village. Um, where it didn't quite work the first time around, but in years, it's going to gain a little bit of momentum. So if I were buying stock, if movies were stocks and you could like invest long-term, I would put money on Don't Worry Darling as something that's going to pay off in massive returns in about 10 years' time. Nice. And then let's move on to Miss Alex to finish this up. And with a little more Resurrection, a little more Watcher. So then you got you got two right there with you, Monagle. And uh, a Bones and All, just to round out the Bones and All love that is in this chat, in this Slack. And, you know, I, I, a movie I, I enjoyed for what it was as well. So, yeah, that, that was another one that I thought might have a little a little more push towards the end of the year. And if we're talking about supporting uh, performances, I am putting Mr. Mark Rylance up there as one of the best supporting uh, performances of 2022, horror or not. You know what I took away from all that, Donato? It's that our patrons are very smart people with very good taste. I agree. And on that note, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's go back to the show. All right, welcome back. We are about to talk about the interior, so let me read the little blurb that I have prepared for you. What would you do if you received bad news from your doctor? If you're the main character of the interior, the answer is to move to the woods and become haunted by your own impermanent mortality. Written and directed by Trevor Uris, the interior presents a fascinating mix of office space into the wild and ambient festival horror from the 2010s. When white-collar advertising employee James is given a terrible medical prognosis, he chooses to leave his girlfriend and the urban grind behind and live off the grid. But what James finds in the wilderness is far from the peace he so desperately seeks. This film played a variety of uh, different festivals in 2015. It played Fantasia. It played Calgary International Film Festival, Saskatoon Fantastic Film Festival. Don't even know if that one's still a thing. And uh, in, in a nod to Brian, or Brian, to Brad's relationships, 
the Telluride Horse Show in 2015 as well. So all of that said, there's your premise. There's the festival presence. Brad, what made the interior of the movie you want to talk about today? Um, to me, it very much, since we just talked about the whole concept of making movies with friends, if you look back at their credits, they all worked on a lot of films together. They are the making movies with friends types. Uh, type. Um, but uh, I just love how... So it's twofold. So the first, I think, uh, like, according to IMDb, the title card doesn't come on until like 26 minutes into the movie. 26 minutes. The first, like, I, I paused the movie and wrote it down. It's the 26-minute mark. The first act is almost, like you said, like an office space-style comedy very low-key weird the the whole opening thing is like are you high right now no why do you say that because you're holding a joint and he looks at it and it's just like you can't help but laugh at it but as it moves more towards the the horror component the way it sort of deals with that isolation and loneliness um it's it's genuinely affecting but it also terrified the shit out of me because I like to go camping. I liked to go camping. And then you have one night in the woods where you hear footsteps outside your tents or the knocking noise that that kind of uh, is all throughout the movie as he's laying like trying to sleep. Um, and then just the thought of someone pushing on the tent and just absolutely terrifying. But even to another point, the idea of wrestling with your own mortality. I, I have very high medical anxiety. I'm a hypochondriac. Uh, for the longest time, I always thought I had a brain tumor. So the expectations that he goes in, we don't actually hear the diagnosis or anything of the sort. So we don't actually know if he's es escaping this reality or, or what, but I don't know. It just, it really, really resonated with me from just the, the humor, the fact that he works in advertising, which is tangentially related to mm -hmm. the marketing to, to going camping and to just kind of want to be on your own for a while. And then just the fact that you can't run from your, I don't want to say demons because they're not really his demons, but you can't run from the reality of life and all done with this almost a 24 esque twist style about it uh becky and i were talking while watching it it's like it's very much a24 style before a24 blew up very grounded way more subdued um but yeah and it's just, you know a tight 70 minutes or so 70 75 minutes uh it does some unique things it looks amazing just only using like a flashlight or a lantern for most scenes in the pacific northwest is absolutely gorgeous yeah so great cinematography even if it is all rainy yeah, just so many little things just sort of culminated in this film that it's just a tight, not even, it's not mean, it's just like harrowing in a way. And I don't know, you don't see much of that lately, especially with, I mean, the whole, like, good chunks of it are just very surrealistic. You know, running through the forest, people are chasing you and you don't know why. Yeah, it just, I saw it 2015, uh, one of the producers reached out to me. Uh, kind of like with Rose Only, uh, they reached out and I'm like, hey, you know, we have these movies for the festival circuit. We'd love you to take a look at it. I watched it and I was like, yeah, we need to program this. This is awesome. Like, especially in, in Colorado, it's not the Pacific Northwest, but 
you know, camping is very big here and all that. So it definitely resonated with the audiences there, just as it did with me. I want to share one quick story real quick, Brad, because I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the medical anxiety piece. I think Donato, maybe you'll remember this. Uh, the beginning of this movie resonated super hard for me because in 2020, um, you know, I, I actually went to my doctor because I lost vision in one of my eyes. And I like, I also have a lot of medical anxiety. So like I freaked out and I got an MRI scheduled from her. Um, and so I did like the whole thing. I went into the booth and they put like the, 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 uh, like serum or whatever it is that, so that they can like trace the colors that go up to your brain and whatnot. And I went to my optometrist, or I went to an optometrist after that. And he was like, you were looking at your computer screen for too long and your eye like literally spasmed. That's why you've been having vision issues is because you strained the muscles in your eyes. So it was like a huge relief, but like definitely the, the, the beginning of that part where he's like, yeah, my vision has been bad recently. I was like, oh, okay, I've been there. I, I was the guy that was like, I probably have a brain tumor. I'm in the machine making the, like the bump, bump, bump noises. And I'm like, this is how it ends for old Matt Monagle. And he was like, you need to look at screens less for the love of God, Matt. It, uh, if I could chime in, it, uh, I actually have an MRI scheduled for tomorrow because of the ringing in one of my ears that started a month ago combined with some headaches and a fullness sensation in my head it's like oh okay let's go down the webmd rabbit hole oh fuck i'm gonna die <laughs> so a little terrified about that watching this movie definitely did not help becky was like should you be watching this right now bad and i'm pick. like probably not bad pick brad but uh <laughs> it's me coming to terms with my own mortality mm. that's why i chose it there we go and, and I mean, that does feel incredibly, like you said before, like paying, paving the way for A24 before, you know, if we call it trauma horror uh, or, you know, how everyone is talking about it online where it, it does, it doesn't feel meandering, but it does take its time getting to where it wants to go. It, the surrealism is definitely there uh, in the interior and like the surrealism married with the beautiful cinematography is what really stands out because you have the inherent natural beauty of just going into the woods and being isolated and being alone um and then you bring in these surreal images um where i started thinking like the night comes for us or i no, i forget which it comes or what what am i thinking of it's an age yeah it movie. comes at night it, it, comes, it at comes at night yeah so i it comes at night like immediately came to mind where i'm thinking of just like the idea that you're in the middle of nowhere and there is something there you don't really know um but it also calls back to these movies like uh willow creek um satyr backcountry all of these going into the woods and there being whether it be a bear or whether it be paranormal or whether it be sasquatch like you just hear the noise far away while you're in your tent and it's like it's fabric it's literally the only thing between you and whatever is out there is a thin layer of fabric and then you start to see the great shots of someone pushing against the fabric or what is that or what you know like what is right there that you could touch if you just reached out and did it and that that to me is like always going to be the scariest because it's like you know we choose to go camping we choose to do it for quote-unquote fun and vacation uh but it is like is it not one of the most dangerous things you can probably do like and choose to do personally a friend a friend of mine and i we did a backpacking trip and we went like eight miles in we camped and we ended up sharing a tent just to make it lighter. We didn't both didn't have to carry tents. He's fast asleep snoring. And I'm just like wide awake. And I hear like footsteps outside the tent. And I'm like, it is probably a deer. It is probably a rabbit, some other animal. But no, it's going to kill me. Whatever it is, it wants to kill me. And it's trying to find a way inside, take over my body and 
yeah, no, camping is fun. It's with good friends, but car camping is definitely going to be more of a in the future for old me. Well, what do you, what do you all, what did you all grow up with in terms of like, this is a huge tangent, but what did you grow up with in terms of like monsters in the woods? Because in Alaska, the folklore, the legend that we were always told was the Kushtaka, which is a, a, a clinket mythological creature that is like a, a shapeshifter that their MO is that they sound like a baby crying. And then what they near a waterfront and then they drown you in the water when you get too close. So that was always like my dad tell the stories about when he was camping, you know, in high school. And he was like, I saw a Kushtaka. It was on the other side of the lake and it like ran to me, but I got to the tent or the house first or whatever. And it's bullshit, Mike Monagle. Those are fucking lies. But I'm curious what, what y'all grew up with. Cause I'm sure re- every region has their own, like the thing outside the tent is X, right? Mm-hmm. I grew up in Florida. We didn't do much camping there. So we didn't really have one obviously in uh Pacific Northwest. I mean, I was only in Seattle for two years, but um, I think, Bigfoot is still relatively big out there, but nothing, nothing like that. Hmm. Donato, Jersey, Jersey Devil. I was just gonna say, I grew up in Jersey, <laughs> so like I had the Jersey Devil, but that, my my parents weren't into such things. Like, so I didn't have those stories being told to me. But what I did have was Weird New Jersey, the magazine, and what I lived right near was Clinton Road, which is actually I'm I'm, I'm confirming my sources uh, right now, but like it was all of a 10 minute drive for me. So like we were really close to this thing called Clinton road. Um, it, it eventually became like a source for multiple movies. Like there's one with ice tea. There's another one that it, like these horror movies about Clinton road, because the whole story was you would drive there with your friends and there were multiple things along Clinton road that might happen. Um, there was a woman in the water. If you pulled over by a bridge who, if you said the right things, you would see the image of the woman in the water and she would try to like, lure you in and you would never come out um there was also supposedly the one that i experienced the one that i actually did confront i guess let's say is there was a story about uh someone driving a car and they hit a barrier and died so the weird new jersey fact or the weird new jersey thing they would ask you to do is like go drive the road and at some point, headlights will appear behind you and then they will vanish because it's the woman driving and she will follow you and then she'll go away. Like nothing will happen, but you will see this woman. And we're, like, of course, like we're stupid kids in high school and, you know, all right, let's just drive it and see what happens, stuff like that. So one time, sure as shit, we're driving and like a car is getting like too close to us and there's headlights, but like close, far, close, far, just a weird driving pattern. Um, so finally we, we turn, we see a barrier, we make a left at the barrier and we go down the road and we turn around the car's just gone. It didn't like, it's a pitch black road. This is not a built up road. You're in the middle of nowhere driving through woods. And if it turned off, we would have seen it. Like we would have seen taillights. We would have seen it turn off or stuff like that. It was just behind us and then it vanished. So like that is, that is my one urban legend, uh, story of like, wasn't facing death at the same time. We, yeah. It happened. It was a thing. Yeah. So I think I think for Florida Florida. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I want to hear the Florida version of this. It's gotta be wild. Oh no, just for Florida, a lot of it's just gonna be alligators. Oh, the real thing that yeah. The real thing. Nothing, nothing scary. <laughs> yeah, so I think that what we're agreeing then is that the interior really taps into the notion that the outdoors is bullshit. <laughs> is that is that kind of what I'm picking up from everybody here? Outdoors alone. Is yeah, let, 
let me go glamping. I have no desire to go camping anymore. I, like, truly, I'd rather just go to a resort or something. Yeah. I, I have a friend who would do camping trips along the rim of the Grand Canyon, and he had one of those little tents where it's literally big enough for you, stretched out, and that's it. And he would do that all the time. And I'm like, no. I have to be with someone, or I'm sleeping in my car with a gun. Well, I'm I want to I want to talk about something Donato that you said, um, and not talk about Brad's gun because that seems like a dangerous thread to go down. You were talking about sort of the cinematography and the way that they do like the the diegetic, the handheld lighting in the film. Um, I am not a lighting guy. I don't have a lot of experience with lighting, and I'm not the right person to talk about sort of like lighting and then like color grading and saturation after the fact. But I was struck by how high contrast that is in a way that I don't feel like I see in movies anymore. A modern movie would do that. And even the bits that were illuminated would be desaturated to shit. And it sort of surprised me at how, how beautiful and how striking a lot of those like nighttime images were just because yes, there's only a single light source, but like the single light source is really like, it's not even, it's not even Blair Witch Dark. It's like you see what you see and you don't see what you don't see. And sort of having these, almost like video game style, right? Like the flashlights and video games that perfectly illuminate a very small section and illuminate nothing else outside of that. It was very refreshing because I feel like a lot of modern movies, it would all just be a little bit more gray tone and it would be harder to really appreciate kind of like the perimeter of blackness that is surrounding the one little bit of the woods that you can see. It was a really, really nice and consistently well done piece of the film. There always has to be the strike blue light of the moon coming through, which... Pacific Northwest, it was raining constantly. You're not going to get that. Yep. So it really played into the realism of it all. So, Matt, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say it's also such a, let's say, simple movie in the sense that you have one actor. It's mostly no dialogue. It's someone camping in the woods. That's it. Like, this movie is majority just camping. Um, So I, I believe, at least, you know, the filmmakers understood that, okay, we really have to stand out somehow. Um, and we can look like any other movie. Or we can, as you said, Monaco, like the contrast and like the sharpness of, of the images and, and the colors and everything. Like you feel almost first person point of view-ish to go back to what you just said about video games, um, where the camera is placed obviously behind the person with the flashlight and they are illuminating just patches of the woods. And, you know, sometimes the flashlight will go on someone who's just standing behind a tree. Sometimes the flashlight goes on absolutely nothing. But at all times, like the focus is on that one beam of light and how that looks is so important to the this film, because if it looked like every other film, there's really not much to separate the interior from every, every other movie about going into the woods and being alone. Um, but I, the the knowledge and the lighting capabilities and again, just one aspect of the film, that's it. It's one aspect of the, that I think makes this film so individual and like it's crazy that that's all it took um after making shorts for the first time and working with an actual crew i have so much fucking respect for grips and gaffers like not just the amount of equipment that they're working with but like the little nuances it's like oh you know let's let's 35 percent you know we need like get the little white uh, the bounce card a little bit higher and oh yeah the shade's not quite right on its face and it's just it's insane. And I'm just like, it looks fine. Cause I'm still learning the directing process as a whole since, you know, I started as a writer, but man, they just, they work their asses off on set. 
and they they deserve so much more credit, I think, than they get in the grand scheme of things. But with the this even just something as simple as that light, you know, yes, you can get insanely powerful flashlights. You know, there had to have been more behind the scenes to make it look as good as it did. And um, it did so well with like just hyping up the isolation of it all. Um, and to your point, you know, swinging the flashlight around, maybe you catch a glimpse of something. But the fact that if you do, it's not acknowledged. It's just there. To me, that's scary as hell. Because you're alone at night in the forest. You're going to see shit that you yeah. probably don't want to see or stuff that looks scary but actually isn't. So I don't know. It, to me, it was just very much one of the more realistic portrayals of camping um, that I have seen. And it it worked for me in the realism standpoint, too, because, I mean, I have not gone out at night a lot, but like I, I grew up in you know alaska i'm familiar to like really dark overcast like woods and i've spent my fair share of time there and so it it connected with to me on the sense that like that's what i remember it being like at night like it's not like oh i can see it's like you know it's not blue light right it's not like shooting night for day it's just like i can't see shit at all and then i have like with my flashlight i can see whatever's on there but it also so much of the movie is not jump scares i think they're all of the scenes where where the main character uh, where james is sort of like looking around at night a sm- the smallest possible fraction of that are scenes where he actually sees something but it doesn't really matter because the woods at night are fucking terrifying because you know like nature is bullshit as we've agreed upon earlier when you're alone that should be the tagline for this episode nature yeah. is bullshit <laughs> nature is bullshit <laughs> I, my favorite shot though of the entire film is when uh, the main character james has been visited by something that night i believe we do get the glimpse of you know he sees this other person often just walking by him and sometimes this person has a bloody mouth but he's this person's always screaming and that is the the scare let's say like that is the horror of this movie where it gets traditional horror but to me the scariest part and what you know monogle and brad you're both saying about the woods just always being terrifying is we now have James who has been startled is awake. It's the middle of night pitch black, except for his flashlight. And he's just sitting in the opening of his tent because he's not going back to sleep. Sure. Shit. Then he just has the flashlight pointed out into the woods. And it's this perfect corridor made by trees where like there is just, he's just glaring into an opening and there are trees on both sides. And you're just sitting there waiting for like a head to lean into the, from like a distance or just something to appear. And it doesn't, but that doesn't matter. It's still terrifying because you're just sitting there going like, yeah, no, I don't want to be looking at that nothingness. I admire the balls on him for just simply getting out of the tent, even just after hearing a noise. I, I will hold my piss the entire night in my tent. Just I'm not getting out. No way in hell am I getting out. It's just there's stuff out there and it wants to kill you. Yeah, <laughs> that's my thought process. Nature's <laughs> bullshit. I want to I want to ask um, a, a, a quibble or a question because I think people are going to hear my, me talking about the cinematography on this um, and then go be like oh what did Matt give it on Letterbox and see that I didn't actually read it that high because there were some things I, I did not like about it so I want to be conscious of the fact that like we're here we're here to celebrate in a lot of ways the movies that we talk about but there were a few things about this that that I think sort of tripped me up and one area that I'd like to dis- to discuss with both of you is the use of music. This is a very representative film of its time period in that it's a little bit of ambience and a little bit like it does interesting things with like classical music. 
But I was struck in 2023 watching this movie how much I wanted it to have some kind of like sonic scape that was all its own, right? Like watching this, that to create some sort of like ethereal or liminal space and to do that with a soundtrack that was kind of like its own thing. And it was a, it, it was weirdly like one of the biggest frustrating points is whenever they would bounce between like a little bit of like electronic and then a little bit of classical, I understood sort of the purpose there, but I was just like, man, if this has had, if this had had like, an original score that was that kind of had like a few themes that were woven in and out of the movie and created a real sense of like otherness to what was going on. I think that might've been more effective to me. So Brad, I want to start with you, especially cause you've gone through the process of scoring shit. How, like, how did you feel about the use of music? Am I, am I in the wrong for wanting something different than what I saw than what I heard? Absolutely not. Um, I personally liked the minimalist just piano and that's pretty much all it is, mm-hmm. save for his rapping at the beginning. But um, <laughs> which we're not probably <laughs> going to get into in this episode. So if you've been if you've been listening, been like, yeah, what we're going to talk about is hip hop life. Like, yeah, we're, that's not going to come up. No, I really liked it because it gave it its it it gave it the vibe I felt made it work. Because most of those piano scenes were during the surrealist moments. At least once he finally gets into the uh, into the woods, um, and I, I I can't seem to find the words on how to accurately describe it, but there is something about the lack of sound and the lack of obvious score, and more just sort of like this subdued yet still very intense piano tinkling that that played over all of it that really really worked for me. I will agree that, you know, there are some points like the movie definitely resonated with me way more on first watch than second and now the third uh, for this uh, show. Um, I do think even though it is about 70, 75 minutes, you know, it does drag a little bit at times because that to your point, which you said earlier, is that just like no dialogue in the last half of the movie. Like, I'd love to see the scripts just to see how long it is. Four pages. <laughs> All improvised. <laughs> um, but. It both really, really worked for what it was trying to do. But at the same time, maybe, maybe I wanted a little bit more. What what that is, I wanted, I can't say. It's just a feeling you get in a way. But, but yeah, I feel like with the scoring process, it could have just been a factor of his budget. I mean, scoring's mm-hmm. not cheap. Maybe they maybe they did score it and that was an original piece. I, I I'll I'll put it plead ignorance there. Um, but I, I felt with the vibe they were going for that minimalist, just pure piano running through the darkness type stuff, uh, really worked in a cohesive manner. Yeah. I think it's interesting, uh, as an experiment, I I would say like, like the interior feels like a horror movie that is trying so hard not to be a traditional horror movie. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It, It just, you know, to what you've both said though, like that the music is so integral to how we receive the scares and the fright and a, a more traditional horror movie. We know that's the score they would use whenever there is a surreal moment or when, when the horror really kicks in the, the string instruments would, would do their high pitched squeal. There would be more intensity, but by using a slower classical music, something more like, you know, orchestral and just with the piano though, um, you're forced to kind of confront the horror of the scenario as 
maybe it, it's in the character's head, I guess I'm trying to get to. Like, it's something the character is seeing, and we are removed from the fact that this is a supernatural occurrence. The horror is literally just life. Like, the horror is literally just this guy going through whatever he's just been told about his mortality. Um, and by using the score that they used, they very much tell you that, like, you know, no, this is just kind of like fate. This is just kind of the way life is playing out, and you're forced to kind of like confront the horror of that scenario versus if it was a typical you know something you would hear in a james wan horror movie or something like that that score would then immediately tell you like no this is supernatural this is spooky shit there's something in those woods so i think it's just very interesting how you know we read a film and receive a film just based on the music that is used um but also i do think it does hamper the film at times because i would even say it's like the last not even the last half i would say the last like two-thirds there's no dialogue um, yeah. And like when I went to when I went to rent this movie, Amazon had it listed as first comedy, then drama, then horror. Like horror was like third on the list of of genres like to get to. Um, and like we're not here to fight classification. Like it is a horror film. We're not. That's not what we're arguing here. Yeah. But you can tell the importance that it puts on a lot of elements. Um, and while it very much is a horror movie about going into the fucking woods, because anytime going into the woods is it's a horror movie. Um, it doesn't lean into it as much as maybe I hoped in the ways that I would maybe be a little more drawn to, I guess to say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I totally get that. And that's kind of where I also like when I said earlier, it's very much like a 24 before a 24 became yeah. big uh, and, and the horror space, especially metaphor. Cause it's all it is. It's metaphor, you know, is what he is seeing real. Probably not. It is a representation of this X, Y, Z, yada, yada, yada. But also to your point about how the music really sets, like the music is so, so important into how a scene is perceived. And it almost kind of plays out, and I'm probably using the wrong term here, like a tone poem in a way. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, a bigger, more bombastic score or a traditional horror score would not have fit with that character's journey in those moments. And... Uh, to your point, Monica, what you had said about, you know, I've worked with having film scored before. It's fucking hard. Oh, my God. Because, like, I'm not a musician. I adore music, but I am tone deaf through and through. I just, like, I have a vague idea. I like this. I like this. Here's some examples. I want to use this type of instruments. And working with people who actually score movies, it's like, they nailed it. It's crazy how... You, you work with them. It's like, hey, I like this part. I like this part. I like this part. But their ability to to kind of really hone in on, like, what is this scene about? Like, in Giving Up the Ghost, there's this sad moment where the ghost is wandering through the house, like, looking at uh, his best friend and, and all of that. And you hear some voiceover on occasion. But it's like, we need this, like, really downtrodden, sad thing. But we want it minimalistic. And he just, he did it perfectly. Yeah. And it really sets the mood. And, like, our first short, we didn't know, like, what kind of tone do we want? Because it could, it could be a horror film. It could be a comedy. We kind of settled more on the comedy side. And I think our main feedback was like, you know how Hall of the Mountain King? Dun, 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 and it mm -hmm. slowly builds in an almost quirky manner. That's kind of what we want. Yeah. Until this one moment where it turns and stuff like that. And it just, yeah, just insane credit to, to whoever scored and sound design the interior because it's absolutely phenomenal uh but again to your point monogal i can understand and to your point too uh uh matt 
uh, I can understand why you might want something a little more. But that's the beauty of it. You know, everyone kind of views these movies in their own way. Yeah. And I will say just because I know we were using like Hollywood reference points for this. When I say I wanted like something that would give it its own sense of, of liminal state, I'm talking about the Hagazusa soundtrack. I am talking about like an atonal nightmare, like thread of music that sort of weaves in and out of the film for us. So like no James Wan score, straight up MMMD. Um, for the entire of the film, which is the name of the Greek band that uh, composed the soundtrack to Hagazusa. Like that kind of like atonal drone stuff, I think would have made it, would have locked in the atmosphere. But that's, you know, that's my bias, right? Like I'm not going to pretend like I don't listen yeah. to all that shit every day anyways. Or like Sun O in uh, The Devil's Candy, like something just chanting, yeah. something just, you know, feral, oh, yeah. feral in the woods. Would, like that would be, that would be very cool. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's how we receive the film and it's obviously how they intended to show their journey of the character so like it, it definitely rings true and it definitely gives it again a, a sense of individuality you know between cinematography and sound design to a film that again is otherwise just a man in the woods but that really speaks to the fact that like this this is such an, a naked film because we watch a lot of horror movies and there are a lot of elements where like i didn't like this performance but i like that performance i like the soundtrack i didn't like this scene but I like you know like there are so many components to a lot of horror films that you there's a lot more to pick and choose from and so you might be like, I didn't like everything, but I liked all of these things. Whereas in this film, you have one performance, you have like one style of cinematography and you have like one kind of use of music. So it's a very exposed movie. And to, which I think is, is sort of gives it a lot to me. It felt like a film that's probably going to have a really high variance in terms of people who like it or not. Cause it's not one of those films where I can go like, well, I don't know if I like the lead guy, but I love these two supporting actors. And I love this, the way that this sequence was set up and this, this, you know, particular set piece was really good. Even if this one was bad, it's once it, once he's in the woods, you've got about 50 minutes of, of this is your movie. And if you can't resonate with each piece that they're working with, um, it's going to be, it's going to be harder for you to latch onto something. So I respect them for sort of being like, listen, this is what we want to do. And we're not going to give ourselves a ton of, you know, a ton of, uh, of wiggle room, a ton of safety net when it comes to people being like, if one of these things doesn't work for somebody, then like, you know, 40% of your movie is gone. You know, you've lost somebody, you've lost 40% of somebody's attention on that. It's, it's tough. It's tricky. Yeah. And it's, it's a risk. Uh, but it's very much like if that script had gone out to people in an attempt to find funding, yeah. uh, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm sure it did, but I'd imagine the notes mm-hmm. that they, they got is like, Oh, you need to introduce this. It's like, you're not getting the point of the movie. And I've had that. It's like, oh, well, you need to introduce like a radio that he talks to through static. And I was like, you're not getting the point of the movie. I'm definitely not doing that Uh, for for giving up the ghost. That is it's like, no, I'm not going to have this weird, goofy communication thing just to to satisfy some dumb need. And if that means it doesn't get funding, that means it doesn't get funding because I'm not going to compromise. And this very much feels like a film where they they wanted to tell a very specific story something that feels very personal in a way. Um, and they didn't compromise on it. Again, this is all conjecture on our part, just, you know, based on this conversation, but, you know, I admire that, you know, and these are the types of films that even there are some where even if I don't like them, it's like, this is very much my shit. This is the type of film I adore, especially now that, you know, I want to make something like this because I want to make low budget horror features with friends. And that's what this is. So, well, talking about this movie being your shit, let's ask our million-dollar question that we always ask at the end of our podcast episodes, which is, where does where does this film go from here to find its audience? 
obviously this had uh you know a nice little this has a variety review like you, variety reviews are very hard to get for films of this caliber so it did a good job of getting in front of people on its initial festival push um but obviously this is if we're talking about it on the podcast then there's there's an element of, it, of its longevity that that kind of has not sustained itself so first to you brad and then donato you know what is how does this movie become unforgotten how does this movie find a a, a place in the canon of of whatever type of canon we want to put it in in horror film history uh, I'm gonna kind of fall back, fall back on. So for for anyone who's listening, who's very into like film Twitter and and following critics and all of that, there's this tendency to never say anything bad about a film. Uh, I disagree with that. Uh, or like you know, don't like you know celebrate the films you love. And I I personally believe there's room for both for valid criticism across the board. Don't be mean or anything. But with a movie like this, which, you know, it's eight years now since it came out, it's done its thing. It's moved on. It, you can find it on streaming. But find those movies, promote them the best you can on social media and all of that. That's that's really the the best way for these movies to find a new audience is for the fans who love them to just talk about them. Tell your friends, introduce them. Mm-hmm wait for the podcast that you want to show it on expands to 10 reviews instead of five. Nice. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Sit in there. Waiting for us. <laughs> Thank God for inflation. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's just talk about the films you love. I mean, that's what I did with Pawnee pool constantly. I mean that like just people will, will watch it and, It'll, it'll, it may not have a big audience, but it will find its audience. Mm-hmm. And that's what matters. Donato? Yeah, it's hard because like it, what Brad said is correct. Like this is one of those movies that is going to re- rely completely on word of mouth. It's, it's hard to sell. It's hard to really recommend. So someone has to watch it, love it, and just be like, oh, this is so my shit. So like if you have the same kind of taste as me, you know, it can work in and if you pair it with something, it'd have to be paired with an A24 slow burn. It would have to be paired with like, you know, something along the lines of like a Sarah Dina Smith movie, uh, thinking of like the Midnight Swim or something. But even those movies have a little bit more heft to them, I would say, than the interior. Like the interior is so specifically a almost like ethereal experience where you just kind of float through for 70 minutes and that is going to be some people's whole shit. Like, you know, like that is just going to like make some people go crazy um, it's also going to completely miss large hordes of, you know, horror fans. Um, so it, it's just, I don't, I don't know if this one survives on a vinegar syndrome release or a boutique release. I don't know if this one finds uh, life on shutter. I think this is specifically one of those, you know, there are dozens of us who love this movie and we have to tell everyone about it and hope that we find the right endpoints to get other people excited because like just explaining this film for what it is, is, a hard enough sell so you have to find those comparison points just to be like if you like this you should really give this a try or you know really hammer on that like 70 yeah. minute running time being like hey if you want to give a try as something experimental here's a 70 minute you know traumatic horror film that deals with a lot of heavy heavy subjects yeah and we always talk about um or at least i like to bring up you know this is this is the reason why lists exist right like we think of lists as bad things that writers are forced to write in order to write the things they want to write but like if you were to put together a list which is like movies about people in the woods you could put 
Into the Wild. You could put Leave No Trace. You could put The Survivalist, that really good 2018 Mia Goth um, post-apocalyptic film. And you could put this on there. And that would feel like a very cohesive, uh, very of a theme type list. And people would go through there and discover stuff they wouldn't. So always be looking for opportunities to create buckets, to put, you know, to, to align things, to create like little mini film canons that will allow movies like this to exist sort of in tandem with, with bigger titles. And it's the same, we, you know, to go all the way back, it's the idea of like, you pair this with something at a festival when it's playing, that's going to give it an opportunity to succeed like a short film. Um, you do the same thing as a feature. You pair this with other features that are thematically similar that people have heard of that makes them want to go that extra, you know, go, go to Tubi and watch this, you know, add one more movie that they haven't seen. That's in, that's already in a kind of a mode of cinema that they know they're sort of interested in. So I think there's I think there's life for it. Now I would be really interested to see how this like plays against something like Leave No Trace, which are incredibly different films, but also not you know meaningfully similar in some very significant ways. Definitely well said. Well, thank you, Brad, for coming on my podcast and complimenting me. <laughs> All right, that's enough of you, sir. I want to say thank you so much <laughs> for coming on and bringing us the interior, Brad. I know you're constantly working on stuff. You had a, a very long intro for Mr. Donato up front. So, if people want to know more about your projects, if they want to know more about the shorts and and the screenplays that you're working on, if they want to know when your next horror trivia is, if they're in the city, where should people be going to connect with you? Yeah. So uh, for horror trivia, if you're in Denver, we do a monthly, uh, we have like a monthly engagement the second Tuesday of every month at Slashers on Colfax. It's a horror themed bar. Uh, we're kind of like the, the house trivia group there. We've been doing it about two years now. Tons of fun. And we're doing a couple special events, uh, ideally at the Draft House for Evil Dead and Scream uh, later on in the year, uh, nice. next couple months. Uh, but at Friday Wrong across all the socials, we're most active on Instagram and then FridayWrong.com. I'll eventually get to, to updating it. Um, our shorts, uh, you can find us Suburban Ghosts Films on, on YouTube, um, suburban-ghost.com uh, uh, for the website. And uh, and then Twitter, if you, for whatever reason, want to follow my fifth account now, it's at mercenary underscore toast because every variation of my name has been used. <laughs> very, very nice. Uh, Donato, you've got a busy year ahead of you. How do people stay on top of all the work you're going to be doing? You can follow me, as always, at Donato Bomb on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, and Hive. If you want a one-stop shop for all my writing, you can follow me on Authory. Well, I don't even know if you follow. There's like, just look me subscribe. up on Authory. Yeah, subscribe. subscribe. That's right. Subscribe. Yeah. There's an RSS feed. Anyway, so Authory for all my work. And yeah, I already have like like 10 reviews scheduled for this month, plus a ton of other stuff. So cool. Just follow me. Read my shit. Tell me I'm pretty. I, I will admit, I, I am one of your author subscribers, Donato. I get your digest every Friday with, um, I have it set to weekly, so I get a, a digest every Friday of all the work that you've done that week. And I always forget that I'm a subscriber to Authory. So every Friday I, f- I get what appears to be an email from you telling me to watch a specific movie. And I'm like, Donato, why didn't you just put, oh, wait, this is the digest. So like, <laughs> at, without fail, every Friday at like 11 a.m. Central Time, I have this little moment like, why are the fuck are you emailing me to, nope, it's, it's the Authory digest. I remember now. It, it's the same for you and Amelia. I, I get the yeah. I get your emails every whatever day you have a set of two that on from all three too, and it's always the same thing. I'm like, why are they? Out? No, that's right. No, it's yeah. all three. <laughs> always takes a minute. Uh, as for myself, you can follow me at uh, Matt Monagle on Twitter. We would encourage you, as always, to go check out CertifiedForgotten.com, where we're publishing some of the best writing you will find on movies that nobody else wants to talk about. 
that's our thing. And we will ride that elevator straight to hell if we need to. Nobody else can do what we do. Um, of course, you can support us on Patreon. But even if you don't do that, really just like finding an article and sharing an article on social media really helps. We just want to make sure that our writers are able to get a little bit of visibility for the pieces that they worked hard on. And as you know, from talking about films like The Interior, some of these movies, there's not a lot of people looking for them. Every little bit of a nudge you can get certainly helps. So Brad, thank you for joining us for a second time. And you know, you. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this will not be our last time on Certified Forgotten. So we'll look forward to having you back. I hope so. It was a pleasure as always, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Donato, take us out with something weird, my man. Spooky woodland noises. Nature is bullshit. <laughs>